Welcome to the ACE podcast. I'm Pete Perfides and this is a safe space for incurable record obsessives to get excited about what happens when the stylus sucks the information out of the grooves of the record like a magic straw and by some incomprehensible alchemy recreates the very music that once existed only in the heads of the people who created it. Uh, as the frontman with Maximo Park and an avid record collector, today's guest is familiar with both ends of that process. When I first met him in 2005, he spoke animatedly about the transformative experience of listening to the Smiths' How Soon Is Now when he was 11. And uh, since then, I dare say a few people have had comparable tales to tell about records graced by his magnificent turn of phrase. Um, the breakthrough, of course, came with the Mercury-nominated A Certain Trigger, which featured classics such as Apply Some Pressure and Limassol. But the intervening years have seen his band assemble a hugely impressive body of work, of which songs such as Books from Boxes, Our Velocity, All of Me, Leave This Island, The Kids Are Sick Again, The National Health, and What Equals Love, number among my personal favourites. Um, that's a golden streak extended by their new album, Nature Always Wins. And I dare say we'll alight on that during the course of the conversation. But right now, the only way he's going to stop squirming uncomfortably is if I introduce him. So hello, Paul Smith, out of Maximo Park. Hello, Pete. Um, I'm, I'm all right. I'm just getting the last squirm out of my backside. Good. Happy to hear it. Um, <laughs> you've been... Uh, well, obviously, these extraordinary times are making uh, unforeseen demands of, of all of us. And you've just been homeschooling, is that right? That is correct, yes. I've, I've homeschooled until my wife finished work at about quarter to two. And then just just before I came up into my attic where I'm speaking to you from now and where I recorded the vocals for our new record in isolation, um, yeah, I've just, I've just tried to dampen down a little bit of a tantrum about tickling it was going to be a tickling uh, my daughter wanted a kind of tickling party which i'm said i said i'm sorry i've got to go i've got to work now i've done my <laughs> i've done my bit for the day and you know there, there were there were tears before bedtime so yeah I, that's that's currently my life juggling juggling uh rock stardom of a of a of a low low level sort yeah, of sort yeah. of thing with uh with high level stakes home education of course tragically your daughter isn't old enough to understand that you are a rock star so <laughs> you can't that you can you can't really play that card you can't she can't she can't just merely be delighted by the fact that you know other people in in the same profession as you uh historically have not homeschooled their children no, this is it. Um, I've I've just got to deal with the the reality of the situation instead of the my my rock dreams, which have been curtailed at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so you so your daughter is four, is that right? Yeah, she's four, going on five, and so she started school in lockdown, and so hasn't hasn't known a time when there's not hand hand sanitizer at the gates or sanitizer, as we call it in our house, and yeah. Um, coming out of that um initial sort of baptism of fire of starting school and then being told that you can't see your new friends and that kind of thing has been yeah a little bit of a, an emotional roller coaster in our, in our house and add add to that the pressure of of your you know educating your child when you are lacking in that in educational chops um although I did I did teach 
art and design to pensioners just before Maximo Park signed our record deal, but that doesn't really count, I have to say. It doesn't, might not count, but I'm very intrigued to hear more in a minute. But there, <laughs> there are a couple of pressing questions with regards to your um, homeschooling situation that I, I've got to get off my chest. Um, I, 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 if I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate to a certain extent, but also I'm revealing something about my rather sloppy um, uh, sort of standards of parenting when my children were four. I asked myself, would I have really bothered homeschooling my children in, in a pandemic if they were four o'clock? And, and the uncomfortable answer I give myself is probably not. I think that probably they could just, uh, um, you know, at that age, you can surely kind of catch up. That's, that's, I'm, I'm, I hope so, considering the standards of my of my schooling. Um, teacher dad not is is not my not my finest hour. But yeah, it's 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 one of those things where it's she's in reception, and therefore you know she's just getting to grips with learning how to read and write and learn about numbers and adding and subtracting, really sort of basic things. And you yeah. know, I, I, I'm aware that. That is, you know, that is stuff that you can, if if you've if you know if you've got a little bit of um, natural ability, you can you can kind of catch up a little bit. However, knowing that you know the the role is is mine and the responsibilities come come that come with it are falling on myself and my and my wife's shoulders. You just think we've got to step up to the plate. We've got to do it. We've got to do it for for our daughter. But then. As uh, you know, the, there is a there's a, a kind of lax element when things aren't going so well. Where we'll just say, "Yes, you can watch My Little Pony episode five hundred and ninety-seven," um, and you know, th- there's, there's we're lucky because because it's not so stringent educationally. You know, a lot of the tasks can be you know, read Zog, tell us about how Zog the dragon is feeling. Um, you know, <laughs> so that there, this is the thing. I, I you know, it's. I, I'm making it out to be worse than it is. I think <laughs> well, yeah, it's, not, it's not that I wouldn't do the the homeschooling. It's just that I probably I would have I would have probably put put subtitles on My Little Pony and just, <laughs> and just sort of <laughs> kind of just paused it occasionally and just sort of yeah, try and find a sort of path of least resistance, sort of halfway house between. But hey, you know, you are clearly a, a much higher caliber of human being and parent than i am so all oh, hats off to you fair play to you. <laughs> um that's brilliant yeah um so you're you're kind of you're not so let's go back sorry we're going slightly around the houses here but that's kind of my rambling sort of uh that's all right with me curse um so you used to teach art and design to pensioners that's right uh, I, I it was not something that was was uh, a vocational thing. My friend um, was teaching um, sports science at a college near near where I grew up, and I was living in Newcastle after university had finished. And you know, I was working in a call centre. I'd, I'd done a master's degree and was just thinking, ah, oh, you know, is, is there any way I can just stay at university forever um, and avoid getting a job? Mm. And yeah, the, working in a call centre had proven to be the grimmest possible outcome post university. What kind of was it? It was it was the Nectar Helpline, the the Nectar card for oh, Sain- yeah. whatever it's for. I can't even remember now. Tesco, Sainsbury's, um, I and think, I believe. Well, it, you, you know you know more than I because I still 
that now it rings a bell because every time I go into Sainsbury's, somebody goes, "Have you got a next card?" And I say, "No." Um, I still have. I've still not gone on the rewards card gravy train. Um, but yeah, I, if I had to phone your, so if you're working at a call what's your opening gap? What was the, the thing that? What was the first thing you would have to say if I? If- if you were on the phone to someone, well, you'd have to know if it was tw- if, it, if it had gone twelve o'clock or not. Because good morning and good afternoon, you would get pulled up on that by a lot of a lot of <laughs> people on the other end of the phone. So it'd be good afternoon. You're through to the Nectar Helpline. This is Paul speaking. How can I help? See, it's all come back now. Um, it's muscle memory. <laughs> Hell, what, it was. Did you have music playing in the office, or was it just one of the? Was it a bit like one of these? Was it one of these huge? open plan offices with just soft partitions between each desk um there wasn't even partitions it was it was open plan and you know everything was kind of timed um you know popped to the toilet and the, you know your line manager who'd be on the end of your uh, your desk would be waiting for you to come back if they were if they were a little bit more um disciplined than some of the other ones uh, and uh, you know i I, I, I felt like I was in a kind of a modern day factory, you know, that only it was it, rather than taking a, a physical toll, it was taking a mental toll with this, you know, one of those Madonna, Madonna-esque headphones with the, with the microphone on. Um, and I just, it, it, you just couldn't really get through to people um, how, how, how you were feeling about the, the conversation and you were just used as a, a sort of, uh, a sounding board for their complaints about life in general. And sometimes, you know, you'd have um, a granny on the end of the phone who'd lost all of her points because it had just been introduced, this rewards scheme. And they had like air miles that, and they were just, you know, you'd have somebody going, I've just, I've just saved up enough air miles so that I can go and visit my daughter in Australia and I, I can't find them anymore. And I would be saying, I'm really sorry if you haven't used them. <laughs> um, you know, people were emailed, you know, six months ago and said, you know, you had five months to, to, to claim them if you, if you you wanted to use them and I'm afraid they've all been converted into nectar points and you can you can now get a hamper if you want um and it was it was like if I was I was I was depressed because I knew that I was I was breaking bad news to people quite and often you presumably you didn't have the power to sort of add more nectar po- or you know just to make it up to them in some way you're you're front presumably a front facing fairly low down in the pecking order right Exactly, you are you you are powerless in many ways as a as a call cent a call handler in a call center, and yeah, at, at the end at the end of sort of six months of it, um, I'd managed to somehow um, edge my way into this college in Stockton, and I was all of a sudden because it because I'd had a um, because I'd done a, a postgraduate degree, uh, and I could draw even though my 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 MA was in something completely different because I had a, a sort of portfolio from drawings that I'd done in life drawing class at, at university. And I'd been to art college in Hartlepool and I had all sorts of paintings from those days. I just, you know, um, my, my pal just said, get yourself in there. The, the woman says, bring a, a portfolio. And because you've got an MA, you, you're kind of qualified. So just go in and see what she says. And for some reason, they gave me they gave me the job and said we'll teach you how to teach a- along the way but they never did and 18 months later uh, i i disappeared into the into the world of uh, the murky murky world of um 
pop stardom, <laughs> fledgling pop stardom. <laughs> so a, but it was a, a, two questions here. First of all, did that experience or the call center experience help inspire any lyrics? Um, yeah, probably. I think um, some of the kind of more disillusioned moments on the uh, on the first record, like even the first song, "Signal and Sign" from a certain trigger. It's it's kind of about me waiting for the train back up to Newcastle, and I'd I felt like I'd I'd gone backwards in my life um, because I'd, I'd 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 essentially taken this job because it was to do with art and design, and you know I would get to. Um, you know, do a painting or something at the start of class and show everybody how to do things. And when when it went well, you would get this kind of sense of achievement from working with people who were on your, you know, interested in in learning from you. Even though, I'd, as I say, I wasn't really qualified to do it. And but yet there was there was always because I was teaching. Um, older people who'd who'd retired there was a few a few people who didn't actually want to want to listen to some 20 year old guy telling them you know 20 23 year old telling them how to paint um which caused a lot of a lot of um pain uh, for me because it was you know the, there was there was like an a, a guy who used to be a doctor i won't mention his name on the ace podcast but um yeah he would say well i'm not going to do that paul um i don't i don't really i don't really think you know what you're talking about and um would just sort of well that's you know, that's a bad attitude i mean to be honest you know you sort of um he, you, uh, well, you know, for a number of reasons, really, because uh, we we do we have an awful lot to learn from twenty year olds. Um, you know that anyone who's a different age to you, you know, has a completely has a very different perspective on the world from you. And so, I think your nameless doctor is is showing an attitude which I suspect has been problematic for people around him in his life over the course of many decades. I suspect so. He was uh, he was ultimately uh, a well-to-do, nasty piece of work. <laughs> mm. So, but yeah, I would, I would, I would, uh, you know, because I was, I'd, I kind of had to live with my parents on an evening, um, on sort of Wednesdays and Thursdays or something, because my classes went on until nine o'clock at night, and the last train up to Newcastle, which shows you something about the the train network up in the northeast, mm. was at at ten to nine. Um, from Thornaby Station, and so I, I I missed the last train by ten minutes, and would have to stay with my parents. And each day, me because I was working part time, my wages were extremely low. You know, I, I ended up sort of doing twelve hours a week in the end, just rather than being on the dole. I thought, you know, having having the work experience on your CV might be the the better option, and to just keep your hand in. But it was it was getting down to I was on you know just over a hundred pound a week or something, um, and living back with my with my parents on a, a couple of nights a week, and just yeah, my dad dropping me off and saying. When are you going to get a better job, Paul? Um, you know, all of these things just were kind of adding up. So yeah, the first, I think the, the first lines on our first album, if, I, if I'm correct, says, I've been waiting here for hours. It's getting cold, position closed, a new direction, a new dawn. Consider this my informal complaint. Um, there you go. That was good. I haven't sang that for a while. Um, exciting, but yeah. Exciting though, that, you know, like, you know, in terms of the arc of your story and your band's story, that, that, the begin the very beginning of that arc should be rooted in something so specific it should be a kind of farewell to all that of the life of you know of, of the life you were living sounds like you know maybe even months before your first record 
Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, there was a song graffiti, which um, I, I kind of co-wrote with, with Duncan and there was some, some of his, um, his lyrics still in the song. And, you know, he just said, if there's, if there's anything you want to keep, keep them and just add in what you want. And um, some of them were, were, were very pertinent to, to that. It was like, that's enough. I've had it up to here. Mm. Um, and things like that, you know, um, I, he he he'd written that's enough and i wrote i've had it up to here and there was a line in it that says nothing happens in my town and that kind of yeah it felt very much like i'm back here where i started after being in a sort of bigger city at university um and yeah it was i think um having those having those times post university where everything's a little bit kind of like um a little bubble that you're in you know, having having those times where I, you know, I was working for very little money and not particularly enjoying myself, but also, you know, starting to live my life and be more responsible for myself after this kind of bubble. Between between, I think it was probably yeah, two years or something until we started touring and you know traveling around the world and being on Warp Records, this mm. incredible label, and feeling like things are starting to happen. Happen, um, you know, meeting yourself. Um, <laughs> Just before on the day that we were nominated for the Mercury Music Prize, I believe, um, you know, yeah, you know, those those it was. I think that 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 time really gives me some sort of perspective on on you know on all sorts of things. Even as even as I go on now, you know, I haven't I haven't worked for the last year really in terms of you know bringing in any any money for my family and i probably won't really do that this year and um you know i, I look back at where i was uh you know whatever that was so, sort of 17 18 years ago and you know i i'm aware that things could be a lot worse and that 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 mm. gives you a, a kind of perspective and a sense of well-being even when yeah at the moment things are things are quite bleak and yeah, I, I I feel grateful for all of the things that I've been through and the kind of even the mistakes that you make. You think, well, I'll try not to make that again. Um, whether you do or not is a different story, and then that ends up in a song as well. <laughs> well, you come across as very grateful. I've got to say, and I think we, you know, we we sort of follow each other on social media, and I've noticed that you uh, you are a very positive uh, presence. You champion a lot of other people's music as well, and uh, that kind of pugnacious positivity i guess is probably what i i, I, I would call it is uh, is is evident you know on your new album as well uh which um is you know you i think it's very hard to sound like have the, retain that and en enthusiasm and energy that you have as a young band i just think it naturally dissipates and you replace it with other stuff but this doesn't seem to be the case. It's certainly, only <laughs> on this record, and um, and I'm wondering maybe if it was, you know something to do with because um, you're slimmed. You're now a three piece, aren't you? Lucas has left the band, right? Yeah, Lucas emigrated to Australia and has kind of started a family over there. Um, it, is, was there a sense of like maybe just uh, starting again or having something to prove? I mean, it's such a great record, and I sort of wonder where some of this kind of energy and focus kind of c comes from well i think it, it's definitely a crossroads in our so-called career you know i always hesitate to to call what i do a career because you know i i, I make music first and foremost f for enjoyment and also to to play to other people and you know in in an ideal world improve their their day or their three minutes when they're listening to the song you know music to me 
is 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 all about me being a fan and me being very excited about music and excitable um if 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 there's one sort of superpower <laughs> that i bring to the band it's it's the the sort of enthusiasm and zeal to to continue doing good things and to 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 not almost not disrespect music the concept of music being this sort of positive uplifting force and i don't mean that in hey let's have let's you know make happy clappy songs all the time it's mm. you know a lot of our songs are quite melancholy but there's there's always that kind of idea of overcoming something or or a kind of empathy and solidarity um in the songs which that so that dovetails that, that it dovetails into one song all of me um which sort of dovetails into sort of what you've just been talking about right it does yeah i mean the 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 idea behind the the sort of chorus in the song is is a kind of justification of the things that I write about um, in terms of at the moment you know the kind of domesticity and the intensity of parenthood and I knew that I was going to write about those kind of things because most of our music is drawn from personal experience or um, observation of things, you know, that I'm not necessarily a a sort of imaginative songwriter in terms of storytelling or, you know, depicting a slice of life of somebody else's life. Um, You know, I'm not Ray Davies or that kind of songwriter. Um, And so the kind of challenge was to write about parenthood in a in an interesting way and again and you know after six records that we've made you know we're making a seventh records we 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 need to keep uh that the sort of edge of the band whatever that might be you know it doesn't necessarily need to be a kind of punky guitar you know something like elliot smith is edgy to me or low you know the 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 band from duluth um who we're all big fans of in our band you know there needs to be some vitality going on in in the music and so if you're writing about this subject matter that might seem sentimental to people um or schmaltzy or cliche ridden uh the the challenge is to to you know go against that and to try and find ways of of tapping into the more universal things without losing that specificity that yeah. hopefully gives the song some teeth and roots it in in something real so yeah with with all of me i was kind of saying you know i i turn the radio on to find something and someone who tells me what i need need to hear you know that's that's I still do that, you know. I put on six music, Lauren Laverne, on a on a morning when I'm having have, when we're all having our cereal in the in the kitchen, and you know when a song comes on that that is, uh, you know, one that you either are being introduced to that just catches your ear and makes you stop in your tracks, or whether it's something um, like the she played uh, "Leave Them All Behind" by Ride yesterday, the full eight minutes of it, yeah. and. You know, it's still a great song to me, and yeah. it was also a song that I listened to over and over again when I was a kid. And so, um, you know, uh, when I, when it comes to writing a song about a song, it's a little bit um, it's it's perilous territory because it could co- become very uh, too self aware, I suppose, or or self referential. And well, many people have done it before. I mean, there's so many great songs about songs. Uh, well, that's that, that's something that I, yeah, I, I wanted. I thought, right, let's let's get it in there. Let's you know, the, the, having the word radio in a song that gets played on the radio gives you, gives me a kind of boost. You know, it's like 
uh, I don't know, Don Henley, uh, yeah. Boys of Summer, where it's like, you know, you, you, you yeah. feel like you're in a car with your wayfarers on and he's yeah. just singing about being, you know, with in a car with his wayfarers on. Well, you know, it's it me and I just like, I, I love this more with every passing year is um, the Roxy Music song. Oh, yeah. Do you know, you know that song? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a band playing on the radio. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really fully understand this at the time, but in the interim, I realized that the, so the, the concept of Oh Yeah, so the, 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 the Oh Yeah on the radio is a song about, is a, is a song about a song called Oh Yeah, uh, which only exists in Brian Ferry's head. So um, when, when, when Brian Ferry is alluding to, when he sang, sings, they're playing Oh Yeah on the radio, he's talking about a song called Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exists within the song and uh, so the song becomes the roxy music song becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy which i just think is so clever and brilliant and in the context of this hugely affecting emotionally affecting song and uh and you know that's like five years before like you know like People like Paddy McAloon and uh, and and Green from Scritty Politi were sort of trying to do something similarly clever yet yet sincere. So I thought, anyway, that reminded me of that. No, that, that's a, a great song, and uh, yeah, the idea of 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 kind of going a little bit postmodern with pop is, mm. I mean, it's clearly something that Brian Ferry has has been doing for you know since since the, the the start of roxy music and that idea of the surface you've got you something on the surface level and then you've got something deeper is a, is a, a real influence on the way that i think about maximo park or even the way you kind of present yourself on stage and you know having having something interesting to look at or to you know a, a kind of performance style that's something that that ends up being dismissed by a lot of people because it's seen as inauthentic um whereas I, I love that idea of of you know i mean he was influenced by pop art and same with brian eno you know that but you know another thing you got in common as well as you know coming from <coughs> similar part of the world right i mean I, yeah yeah um you both went to art school and art school you you kept you you got into the habit of keeping a notebook, didn't you? Uh, sort of during whilst you were at art school, which sort of in, informed a lot of your. You used a lot of that stuff in your lyrics, didn't you? Yeah, I think um, you end up training your brain um, in different ways as you as you grow up, and I mean, even even today, the, the sort of social media and the way that we scroll through things, so quickly is, is is has an effect on the the patterns inside our mind and the way that we process information and so i think trying to get into good habits even though as a as a, a relatively um lazy art student you know there were a lot there were a lot lazier actually now i think about it at art college you know i did actually want to paint and draw and that kind of thing but in terms of keeping up with a, a sketchbook and have you know writing notes about things and all of the kind of art historical things that we were meant to be doing you know i used to collect a lot of a lot of things i would i would cut things out of the times culture um magazine and you know guardian weekend and just i've still got all of those things in in the cupboard loads of little reminders of of things and you know interviews with Björk that you, you know i haven't read since i was 
17 or whatever but yeah just that idea of of we don't know when this is going to come in handy um and i think yeah i mean i I still feel like that i still make notes on uh, you know today i was making notes on songs that i might want to play on a radio show that i've been doing just for a, a local um cinema and art space that can't you know, can't open at the current time and they've, they've set up a little internet radio station. And so I'm, I'm just kind of keeping notes of things. And, um, yeah, I mean, but even before coming on today, I knew I was coming on the ACE podcast and, um, on my music book bookshelf up in my attic, I've got, um, like the history of rough trade, um, and the history of ACE records. So, um, I think David Stubbs wrote that and it's just been on the shelf and I've, I've mostly looked at all of the, the vintage posters inside it and the kind of the the inners of rare seven inches or whatever but yeah i was i was looking through looking through that and and thinking oh i must play some you know james carr on my radio station or whatever so yeah i i i think taking notes and writing lists um is is off you know things you you don't often um end up following up on them but you never know when when those things might come in handy Okay, so a bit of James Carr. Um, what have you got a track in mind? Um, well, I mean, it, the classic um, song many people cite is uh, "Dark End of the Street," which is, um, I think, Dan Penn who wrote that song heard mm. James Carr's version, and in in concerts afterwards, um, many years afterwards, he'd say, "People often ask me." you know which version of this song is my favorite as if they haven't heard james carr's version um so i I, i'm I'm tempted to play that because it's so good but pouring water on a drowning man is maybe um because i've heard dark end of the street so many times and i love the richard and linda thompson version as well and uh, aretha franklin as well um i think yeah less people might have heard pouring water on a drowning man so i would go for that one you are. Am I, I've just from your tweets and so forth. I get the impression that you um, you're something of a folk fan. I am. I am. I'm a big sort of folk and folk rock. Um, and I've, I've I've actually just made a record with a friend of mine called Rachel Unthank, who is in wow. the Unthanks. So wow. uh, one day, one day it will emerge. What's the what? What is it? Uh, original songs or, or it's a, it's a mixture actually it's um there's a few original ones that i felt like right these are th- this sounds like a folk song um perhaps it'll work with maybe singing singing it with rachel and you know she she's you know enmeshed in the in the folk world you know she's grown up as a folk singer you know clog dancer her dad's in a in a folk harmony group um so for, you know, I, I I definitely wouldn't. I would always defer to her in in terms of you know knowledge of folk songs, and she's kind of encouraged me to to sort of delve a bit deeper and look into some uh, into the kind of folk song archives. And so we came up with a, a number of different a number of different songs from traditional stuff to to yeah things that I'd written that felt in keeping with. The I suppose the folk revival, if nothing else, you know, like people like Bert Yansh and Martin Carthy, um, th- those that kind that that kind of guitar playing was a big influence on me when I was I was growing up, and Nick Drake um, was another another favourite of mine, which just and I ended up feeling like okay, this sort of finger picking style is is 
the style the style to go for you know i'm not a i'm certainly not a virtuoso on the guitar or anything but um I, I've, I've found a sort of primitive um halfway house between uh i guess alternative rock and um folky finger picking where where, where I, I feel relatively comfortable and so there's, there's yeah there's all sorts of stuff on it and we were actually going to try and put it out this year but every, i think because there's a the new Maximo Park record and the Unthanks are working on stuff, you know everything's going to be we're going to everybody's waiting until the end of this year to see if we can actually play gigs. So I really don't know when we can put the put the record out, but it's it's kind of it's it, I think it's finished really. So <laughs> where, where, where does that come from with you? Uh, that kind of the, what what's, what was sort of were there particular kind of gateway artists or gateway records uh, that uh, kind of uh, were acted as catalysts to, to that side of your tastes? Yeah, um, it was. It, you know, I, I think when in your introduction you alluded to me getting into the Smiths, and that was because of reissues. You know, um, the, I think the whole Smiths back catalogue got reissued just as just as I was entering teenhood and you know as as a as a um impressionable teenager that sort of um combination of jangly guitars angst angst and wit had a had a real effect on me and it's the same with um the island re the, the kind of i don't know whether they'd remastered stuff but they, they certainly compiled loads of loads of different bands up and so there's there's a sandy denny compilation and there's a nick drake compilation called way to blue and it was uh, you know i went into our price in middlesbrough and asked the guy if i could listen to it on um, on a on a CD Walkman that they had at the front desk, and you know, put on the uh, the sort of fluffy little wiry headphones, and because you know, I, I, I th- I'm sure a lot of listeners um, will 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 know about this kind of era, but a lot of younger listeners will now feel like the whole musical world is at there at, at the touch of a button. But you know, I used to collect magazines like Q and Vox magazine and read Enemy Enemy and Melody Maker. And so Nick Drake was a name to me and I was just so intrigued about this this guy and, you know, his 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 whole backstory. Um definitely again as a as a young teen, those sort of tragic tales can be quite alluring to, to, to younger people. Um, and again, this is b- before there was, lo- you know, the internet and loads and loads of information about people. So I'd read, I think I'd read a review in, in Q or something in the reissue section and went and listened to it. And I think cello song is the first song on that, on that compilation. And I was, I was bewitched really, you know, the, the voice, um, yeah. And and the guitar playing and the cello on that, you know, I love I love sort of string quartets and anything with a sort of minimal um, lush string arrangement as is and f- we will, for me. We will come back to this with regards to your album with uh, uh, Peter from Film Music, Frozen by Sight. Uh, but I'll park it there for the time being. I want just a couple of things first before we do that. First of all, just for my own pleasure. I would like to ask you to put you put uh, Nick Drake's albums in order of personal preference. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, it's I it's it's learn a lot about someone by the order in which they put them. <laughs> yeah, I can I can I can imagine. Um, well, uh, I would. I think it's really tough because I would have always said brighter later, just because it's it's it feels like the sort of the full. Um, the fullest 
exploration of, of, of all the things that Nick Drake wanted to express in his music. But Pink Moon, as you get older, um, uh, it's always it's always been a, a, like you know up there in sort of joint first place just because I, I do like quite stripped down um, folk folk music that has a uh, a melancholy aspect so that's obviously a, a big winner um, but as as you get older you just um, it feels like you just just think well how how did this guy make this record you know how was he feeling at the time because it's it's so raw and he just you know plunked it on the desk at Ireland and said, this is the new Nick Drake album. Um, see you later <laughs> in yeah. or words to that effect. Um, but you know, I mean, it, I'd, I wouldn't like to, to, to do down five leaves left, but, um, I would say, I would, I would say probably these days, pink moon, brighter later, and then, uh, five leaves left. And then there's, uh, I've, I've forgotten the, the name of the, the outtakes and rarities, uh, oh. Made to Love Magic, is that one or? Uh, it's it's another one that was on a C, like a CD reissue. Um, I've forgotten uh, the name of it now, but um, yeah. Oh, 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 the the first one, the one Heaven in a Wildflower. It wasn't even that one. Let's see. It's got it's got him on the front cover, and it's kind of black and white, but with with a sort of color color text. Time of no reply, maybe. Time, yeah, time of no reply. Mm. That's the one. And so yes, that had that had that was one of the. I think I got that before I got brighter later because as a as a young record collector, um, I w- I didn't have a, a vinyl record player. I just had a CD player um, that I'd got with my um, my first CDs, which were George Michael, Listen Without Prejudice, and Precious Metal, eighteen soft rock hits, um, which well, was. He loved one of those records. But. <laughs> this is the thing. Um, yeah, one of them is one of them is is is, is in a, a dusty box in my in in the cupboards behind me in my attic, and the other one um, is downstairs and and still gets still gets heavy heavy rotation. And I'll I'll leave you to. We've got to be talking about George, surely. Of course, we're talking about George. I'm still I'm still I'm the the older I get, the more moved I am by like George Michael's voice and uh, maybe, maybe yes, there's a bit of um, my childhood and nostalgia and all that, that kind of thing. But um, I just, I just, I I think um, he's so underrated in a way by, by sort of, I guess more, more people who are more serious about music or musos, if you want to call call it that. And there's a kind of sophistication at play. There's a real, there's an unbelievable quality to his voice and yet there's this 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 pop ideal in in everything that he did um that he couldn't he almost couldn't shake it off when he was trying to be more serious and and um you know at the time it seemed to me i remember when he put out praying for time which was the first single off that album he kind of flagged that flagged that album and um at the time, I felt like he was almost trying too hard, and I kind of felt like I was kind of—I almost wanted to reach into. He, you know, appeared on the South Bank show, and um, and he was—he had this kind of like board or like I don't know. I almost remember it being like a blackboard or something that had like the lyrics of "Praying for Time" on it, and he was coaching Melvin Bragg through the lyric, like what it all meant. I was like, and I, was, I just wanted to lean into the television and say, George, you, it's you don't have to try so hard. It's like, it's 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 brilliant, and you know we believe that your pain is real, and you don't have to walk Melvin Bragg through it. You don't have to put yourself through that. You know, we sort of it's clearly you know 
the anguish is sort of there for everyone to hear. And um, and I feel, I feel bad for him that he felt he had to do that. And he felt, you know, I mean, the music was brilliant. So ultimately it served the music. But you hear it on Freedom 90 as well. Just this guy who's offloading, you know, he, you know, who needs to offload. Um, Absolutely. I, I mean... Um, I, I, you know, as a, as somebody who was reading music papers and stuff at the time, um, I, you know, I, I, I used to adopt journalists' points of views. You know, I was trying to find my own point of view. And, um, you know, I read a lot of stuff about that, about him, you know, trying to be a serious artist and the kind of black and white imagery and the sort of um, you know the way he presented himself, and the, you know having a having a different haircut, and not really being in the videos anymore, and all of that kind of thing, um, and and thinking, you know, I still love this record, but that's the that's the sense that I would I I got from it. But these days, being being somebody who you know is releasing, uh, you know, more and more records, you 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 what you do worry about is preconceptions that people might have of your band or you as an artist and you you don't want the you don't want the work again using the word work um some people would would shy away from that um and and i I do as well um but yeah you would you you start to second guess what people might think about it hopefully that never impinges on on what you're doing in the studio otherwise your musical god knows what will happen to it but yeah once once you've got this record that you love and that you've poured two years of your life into um you want every single person in the world to like it and how that you know that that's not possible and the older you get you the more you realize that that's not possible as well and that you can't please everybody and it's just it's so easy to get kind of caught up in it because you've tried so hard to make something good um there's obviously other people who are trying so hard to make something to make money you know and that's something a, a lot more commercial and is is perhaps less artistic and um you know is part of a big you know, it's just one cog in part of a, a big industry that's that's trying to um, rinse rinse as much money out of out of this product as as possible. But yeah, that kind of I, I can imagine for him being part of that world a lot more. That the idea of of being a product it must have weighed so heavily on on his mind. Yeah, and I think everything was a bit more less a bit less sophisticated then. So the you know there was a real binary between what was kind of shallow and poppy and mainstream or perceived to be and what was real and kind of you know sort of kind of grabbed from the very kind of depths of your your heart you know and uh i think we're all a we're kind of a bit cleverer now we're all a bit we all kind of understand that it's a kind of there there are there are many kind of gradations and variations uh uh, you know, combinations of, uh, 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 of elements that sort of come into play, uh, you know, uh, even several, uh, even on one album, you know, and, and, you know, and what is authentic isn't always good. And what is um, shallow and, and silly and throwaway isn't always bad. Yeah. And um, I think we, I think we're all a bit kind of more sort of uh, wise to the kind of to all the variations that, um, that, that that songs have, and the fact that all of those things can be good because ultimately, if you get the basics right, and you know if it's you know 
it's well, it's mysterious what makes a song good, and you, you would, you know, you'll know that more than yeah. most people, you know. But it's not always things like sincerity and 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 kind of gravity of intent that make things good. Um, uh, staying in that, stay, staying in that kind of temporal zone of the eleven-year-old Paul Smith, or however old you were. Um, are you one of those people who can't listen to the Smiths now uh, because <laughs> of what's happened to? Or are you? Are you? Are you, do, are you kind of quite comfortably able to separate the art from the artist? Uh, maybe more in in the cases of some artists than others. It's a good question. Um, uh, even even somebody like uh, on a different on a totally different level of importance. Michael Jackson, you know, I was watching Sky Arts and it was a, uh, a program about the 70s and, um, you know, I can't, I can't not think of Michael Jackson and, and the, the really serious allegations against him that um, more and more feel, feel real um, with, with time um, and without the kind of machine to, to sort of cover up what's, what's gone on. And, and, and again, society is a bit more, um, skeptical of of celebrity now which is which is a good thing because you know people have hidden behind that for a long time um and so yeah i mean i mean you know i love michael jackson's music or, you know the the sort of the best of it the jackson 5 or whatever um me and my wife were saying you know is it is it okay to kind of play the jackson 5 to our daughter because you know it's it's so life affirming and um uplifting and brilliant um which you know we, we we're not sure about that <laughs> um but in in terms of morrissey um you know it's obviously an opinion um so it's 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 less of a it's less of um of, of a grave concern in comparison to michael jackson and what he may or may not have done but on the other hand you know the the sort of hatred that i've seen from uh the kind of comments that morrissey's made over the last few years and you know wearing wearing the badge of of britain first or whatever you know right wing party it was on on the tv he's yeah. he's actively um promoting uh, a, you know a hate a hate group as far as as far as i can see and it's really sort of cast a a, a shadow on some of the things that I, I, I as a, as a teenage Morrissey fan, you know, listening to your Arsenal and things like National Front Disco, um, where where it, it a lot of the things in the lyrics in the in the um, the booklets were often in inverted commas, and it felt like Morrissey was quoting um, from from you know, yeah from real life. It felt like it was a I'm you know I'm depicting this this scenario in a song. Um, but again, you know, as an as an adult, and you you look back and you think, well, why were you doing that, and to what to what ends, to what purpose? And yet, a lot of that kind of even now that music exists alongside songs that I've I've listened to until I almost wore the the record out. You know, the, it, it was the Smiths were so important to me as a child, and then as a as a growing up into um, you know, uh, late teens and going to university and finding other people who like the Smiths when everybody else said, yeah, they're miserable, the Smiths. And you'd, th and you'd say, no, it's, it's great. It's got a sense of humor. And I think one of the saddest things for me is that, um, Morrissey and the Smiths were, was a band for outsiders. You know, it celebrated the underdog and yeah. 
for for Morrissey to be attacking immigrants or you know um, again supporting in groups that are, have got racist ideologies. I think that the final straw came for me was when I saw that he'd he'd um, allowed who again who knows what goes on in in the world of Morrissey, but al- al- allowed a. Um, a sort of link to a, a YouTube video that attacked Stormzy for maybe headlining Glastonbury or something. And it was a, a truly appalling, you know, like it was genuinely upsetting to, you know, what, what was being said by, I think it was some, some old Geordie fella um, and kind of saying, you know, why isn't Morrissey here? It's all about, you know, black people are getting, you know, getting elevated into this position and you're like, uh, Stormzy's like massive and, it's the biggest festival in 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 Britain, and uh, you know, and one of the biggest festivals in the world. And it's and there should be all sorts of different kinds of music, um, you know, headlining it. And they should they they would probably be the biggest acts. And so it, it didn't even make sense on a logical level. Um, There's not nothing to even be debated, really. But um, you know, it, of course, and that's what's shocking. But yeah, uh, it's made. I mean, it's made me. Yeah, I haven't I haven't listened to a Morrissey record since, and and I think you know a lot of people are sort of a lot of people who are probably making excuses for themselves are saying, hey, you know, it was all right in the Smiths, and you know, I listened to the Smiths because Johnny Johnny Mars guitar riffs mostly or whatever, and <laughs> you know, again, it's it, we all make excuses for things that we feel a little bit uncomfortable with, um, but yeah, just just the the idea of um, of that has made it very difficult for me. Um, to to listen to the, to the music, but obviously, again, it's um, I can't I can't you know I can't take them out of my mind, and I can't take away the sort of affection that I have for that for that music. It was in in the in kind of tr- time time honored style for for sort of teenagers. You know, it was my life. You know, I put my I, mm. I was like the guy who liked the Smiths in in the class. I was the guy who wrote lyrics on on his folder you know the boy with the thorn in his side on my a-level biology folder which you know i look back and i'm embarrassed because it's <laughs> that's what teenage teen you know sort of 17 year olds paul, do <laughs> only consolation paul i did it with people are strange by the doors so <laughs> and mr abel my german teacher shamed me by reading it out to the rest of the class and then asked me to explain to the class what it was i was trying to say by quoting these lyrics <laughs> You know, think yourself lucky. <laughs> um, I personally, I think that I think there is a line that you draw, and you and it's a line that you draw at a different point with different artists, depending on the depending on all sorts of factors. I think um, I found myself playing Vauxhall and I uh, the other week and and enjoying it, and I didn't really analyze too much why i was enjoying it and more to the point why i didn't I, w- I didn't feel bad playing it and i think um but afterwards i thought about it i thought well because actually i think a lot of the, the 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 factors that come into play when we make these decisions happen very quickly at a subconscious level they happen so quickly that it's almost like judging a distance like a, a, in a in a in a situation of danger like you you just do it unconsciously and that that's it and um and on reflection with Vauxhall and I which is probably the most recent Morrissey album I would be comfortable playing um it it was to do with I think it was to do with the fact that 
especially with the content of a lot of the songs, it felt like that was the last time he was at a sort of crossroads in terms of what kind of an adult he might be for the remainder of his life. And um, it's a very um, tormented, ambivalent record. And there were moments of great humanity in it as well, which he was always capable of at times. Mm-hmm. You, know, um, you know, like, you know, the, 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 the you know, this is the same guy who wrote It Takes Guts to Be Gentle and Kind and um, on I Know It's Over. And then, um, and similarly, um, Hold On to Your Friends on Voxel and I and um, Used to Be a Sweet Boy. There's a, there's a sort of, there, there's a human being there. Um, but um, But I sort of felt like whatever changes he needed to undertake in order to be a better human being than the one he became, that ship kind of sailed um, somewhere between that album and the next one. And what we got after that was someone who essentially just kind of drifted away from a moral universe that perhaps you and I might want to be a part of. That's- yeah, I think, I think, unfortunately, he's become entrenched in the idea of what Morrissey is, you know, I'm, I am a, the, the, you know, a judge labeled me truculent. Um, (laughs) so I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I, you know, I don't believe in that ruling, so I'm going to be more truculent and, you know, reading his autobiography, um, you know, the, the amount of time that he spent on, on the, the court case in that, um, again, it sort of spoke of somebody who's obsessed with, with, um, anything that that's said against him, um, that could be seen as negative and almost playing up to that and the idea of of what Morrissey is rather than being yeah a, a sort of uh, a human human being you know I am human and I need to be loved you know that I it's 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 yeah. now a character that he's playing a kind of caricature of himself and you know I don't really know um I, yeah I don't know what he's trying to get at anymore <laughs> um it feels it feels kind of detached from reality whereas it was it was yeah it was humane sensitive um sometimes uh vicious uh, which again we can all be like that but yeah to to then tip over into what yeah. it's tipped over into is is you know it's upsetting for somebody who who spent a lot of time uh you know engaging with that persona and and feeling like it it was it was it was rooted in something real, whereas now it doesn't. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, dwelling on why you're not headlining Glastonbury is not something that somebody who is with a body of work like that should be doing. Oh God! I mean, heaven forbid that you should headline. <laughs> but um, okay, um, you mentioned earlier on uh, Nick Drake and um, and and uh, and, and Brighter Later, which you hold in quite high regard, very high regard. Um, for me, that was Robert Kirby's masterpiece, um, as much Robert Kirby's masterpiece as it was Nick Drake's masterpiece, um, because um, the arrangements are just sort of so stellar on it. And you mentioned, I think, when we emailed each other earlier, and you mentioned the the, um, the Robert Kirby uh, arranged songs that were anthologized for for an Ace uh, compilation by Bob Stanley, which um, which you you're a bit of a fan of, aren't you? I am. I am. Um, I was excited when I saw that that had been compiled because I didn't really know ex- what he'd been on, you know, and, and how how diverse uh, a range of artists that he'd worked with. And so getting that compilation was 
um, was something I'd been I'd, as soon as I'd read about it, I was excited to to hear it and putting it on um, is is you just you just straight in there with those arrangements and that kind of autumnal um, Robert Kirby sound that he was known for and isn't the- it because you realise how much he brought to that you know like so much of what you associate with Nick Drake. And not to detract, the songs are obviously beautiful, but certainly in that midpoint of his recording career, is um, you know, is, is, is there were elements that you could actually hear on records that didn't have Nick Drake on them. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's got so many artists on that I already know and love. People like Shirley Collins and Sandy Denny, um, Richard and Linda Thompson, John Cale, Sheila McDonald, and so. You know, I, I I knew that he'd I knew he'd worked on stuff like Vashti Bunyan's "Just Another Diamond Day" and on Sheila McDonald's record, but I didn't know he'd I didn't know he'd done string arrangements for um, Shirley Collins or Richard mm. and Linda Thompson. And then on the compilation itself, you you hear things like um, I don't know Spyro Spyro Gyra and <laughs> Spriggans yeah. and and people that I maybe he's read about in stuff like uh rob young's electric eden or something like that where you know you you there's a kind of under underbelly of of things that didn't quite make it in the folk rock world and they're often very interesting curios um so it, that that particular compilation is is i guess uh, you know bob stanley as usual cherry picking the cream of the crop and putting it all together um john cale i'd never i didn't have the helen of troy record by john cale i'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of paris 1919 and um fear and uh, a few other john cale records but didn't have that record and so i keep i keep a close watch i think is on the the robert kirby compilation and it's it's so good you know it's it's um it's strident, um, a strident kind of song. And to hear these, you know, the classic Robert Kirby sound on that is an interesting combination. You know, John Cale is, um, there's always a kind of edge edge to proceedings and um, knowing that he's worked with strings before, you know, I wasn't that surprised that... um, As well that that John Cale, uh, that Robert got to work with John Cale because... John Cale sort of usurped Robert Kirby uh, on a couple of songs on Brighter Later. Um, when when Nick had a Nick Drake had a kind of curious couple of days hanging out with John Cale, and uh, and then they um, they turned they, they turned up together in the studio, and Nick somehow John had just sort of announced that he would be producing um, two. Uh, Nick Drake songs, and um, and that's um, one of which was Northern Sky, and the other one which is Fly, um, and uh, and yeah, so um, uh, so Robert had to sit those out. So it's nice that they actually did work together. There was no enmity. That's good. It's good because I can imagine, yeah, John John Cale being quite a combustible character at times. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, larger than life, I think, is the uh, the term we're supposed to use. But one um, one thing that yeah, one thing that um, that popped out to me was the um, on Keith Christmas's song on the record. Um, there's a, a kind of choral arrangement which is like a, a mellotron, and it's like this uh, seven or eight minute song, and it just it's got the string arrangement in there and you think great and then towards the end there's this mellotron sort of 
choir that comes in that Robert Kirby also arranged, which mm. is really reminiscent of Scott Walker, the seventh seal, I think it is. Um, and yeah, I, again, it, I would have never known about that, um, that side of Robert Kirby unless I'd, unless I'd got this compilation. Yeah, I was lucky enough to meet him once, and he was a lovely man. I went to his house, and uh, when I was uh, researching, uh, doing a, a feature about Nick Drake for The Observer about 18 years ago, maybe. Very char- very avuncular, you know, just lovely, very cheerful. And uh, you just, I, you know, I, I, w- I wish I'd spent more time with him because obviously he wasn't around for too long after that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and you can really see, I mean, Nick Drake sort of att- attracted these very ebullient, outgoing characters um, because to a certain degree, they those are the characters that sort of allowed him to be withdrawn. You know, he, he it was almost like having a kind of um, a sort of a, a verbal bodyguard or a social bodyguard, you know, who could sort of like sort of protect you in a way. And so, uh, you know, and John Cale and Robert Kirby in that regard were quite, quite, you know, you didn't. They could. They would. They could just run things as long as you were with them. And I think yeah. socially, I think that probably appealed to Nick Drake. Now I've got to ask you about Frozen by Sight, uh, which was a project that you, uh, you and Peter Brewis from um, uh, Field Music, um, uh, 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 completed in 2014. Which is for people that don't know about it is a is a sort of a, a sort of a, a a kind of a baroque left field baroque pop sort of undertaking. Is that a fair description? That's extremely fair. Yeah, that's it. That's what we were going for, really, in, in some respects, because you know um, field music have, have got lots of string arrangements that uh, that the Brewis brothers do on their records. So it wasn't a big leap in 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 that respect. But then. Peter and Peter and myself discussed a few things that we thought we hadn't really got a, got across in in our solo stuff or with our bands, and so there was an element of of um, crossing that chamber pop sensibility with something like uh, Robert Wyatt or um, David Sylvian or Mark Hollis from Talk Talk and his his solo record which is just, I think, entitled Mark Hollis, yeah. um, was a, a kind of touchstone for us um, as, as musicians, um, not necessarily in what we, you know, what we practice uh, or at least practiced up until that point, but the idea of the, of the commitment um, to, to a goal and to achieving this, this sound that you're after. It's almost like every time you make a record, you're, you're searching for something um, that's intangible, um, but you've, you've got to, you know, get some blood, sweat, and tears into it to to get to an end point. And so I f- it, f- it felt like let's make a record with a little bit more space in it, and um, you, you know, not afraid to be to go into um, fairly fairly left field corners in in our search for whatever it was we were after. And this was the pieces on this record was at least lyrically were sort of inspired by your kind of global travels. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I, I, as as we've discussed, you know, I keep a, a notebook and write things down as I'm as I'm as I'm going around my ordinary life and hopefully trying to elevate those kind of ordinary mundane things into something a little bit more magical and worthy worthy of inclusion in a song. And um, there was a lot of descriptive passages that didn't really 
make any sense in terms of a Maximo Park song, or even in in, in songs of my own where I've uh, where I, I kind of make bedroom pop records myself. Uh, it didn't just didn't really fit in, and so I said to Peter, "Would would it would we be able to to do something with these? And would would you know would you be able to do some string arrangements for for these for these?" words you know we could both write songs I'll, I'll try and write some songs you if, if you've got anything um that you didn't know where it should fit just give it to me and i'll see if any of these words fit to it and the kind of premise was to not change any of the words to to just let the words guide the music and the sort of whatever it might be the sonority of a particular word or the um the unwieldy but somehow uh, poetic or whatever you want to call it, um, length of a line that should inform the music. So when I was writing stuff on my guitar and sending it to Peter, it would be, you know, I was I was trying to find notes or chords that that just went with with each particular line and not not try and think too too hard about making them into songs and just see what happened. But um, you know, as somebody who's <laughs> a fan of George Michael as well as uh, John Cage, you know. I felt like um, certain phrases did keep coming back and you ended up with very unlikely choruses, but still choruses. And it's, it's very melodic, um, but it is, it's fairly unusual compared to more, um, a lot of things, including our own, our own bands. It's um, it is. Yeah. It, it really occupies a very separate space and that's partly what's so fantastic about it. It's um, the, I get the feeling generally um uh, sort of bands in the northeast there's a real sort of camaraderie between bands that have decided and you know this is something you've written about in maximo park songs as well the sort of the the, you know staying put the you know bands that stay in the place where they grew up and don't don't kind of come down uh to london and i guess that i guess that probably accentuates that sort of camaraderie does it i think so i think um, you know, it's it's about community, really. You know, it could be, it could be in uh, you know Chatham in Kent. It could be um, in a small town in Wales. You know, um, in North Wales, or it could be a little corner of London. You know, where um, you've got your own pals who who are into the similar kind of music. And so, you know, growing up in as as a band, um, I, I feel like having having those conversations at two o'clock in a in in somebody's front room about kate bush and hounds of love and then you know or gang of four or um colin blundstone uh you know those you, you end up having 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 a kind of bond together um in not just in terms of your friendship and um knowing the same people and and just you know having a having a bit of crack with somebody you also have this artistic common purpose and it you know it doesn't always work that way you know there's plenty of 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 bands in the northeast who I'm friends with and get on with and you know y- your bands play together but you don't really have as much in common as people might think um and and but yeah myself and the field music guys like uh, David David from field music played bass on my first record um and you know i've um we've played gigs together and done like uh 
last year we did a, a sort of Paul Smith and Friends, it was dubbed as, at Middlesbrough Town Hall, um, which we kind of resurrected at the Sage Gateshead, where um, I sort of picked some of my favourite songs that we that were either duets or that I could make into duets. And uh, the aforementioned Rachel Unthank was there, uh, uh, Catherine Williams, who uh, oh, whose no. voice I love and can't believe that, you know, I ended up being friends with her but again she she's up here in Newcastle and these these kind of connections get made and uh Ross from the Future Heads came along and um my friend Mara Carlisle came up not oh, no, no, Mara's lovely she is and she was she was so she was the the non northeasterner there but it's yeah I think being in in music uh and meet, meeting like-minded people is such a uh, an amazing thing to happen you know I think I met Mara Carlisle around the time that our first album was coming out and she knew a lot of people on Warp because I think her... Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, her cousin was um, was one of the, the founders, co-founders, um, and just hanging out in, in, in London and, you know, dancing in uh, late night bars and talk again, talking about music. I just had a long email thread with her that continued for years where we would just send each other music that we'd never, that we thought the other one wouldn't have heard before. And, and it was, you know, that, that kind of thing is, I think, um, endemic of the Northeast scene. You know, a lot of, a lot of people find themselves at odds with, with other bands because, you know, it's it, with it. With the kind of business side takes over, and people feel very competitive against each other. And growing up, you know, reading Enemy and Melody Maker, it was almost like there was a a, a manufactured or or real fight. You're being goaded into <laughs> having right, yeah. And it's yeah, it's not it's not good. It's weird. It's weird. But yeah, that you know th- those kind of things. When we first started out, people were tried to do the same thing with us in the the future heads, but we were you know we were two mates and and friends with them, so it, it was uh, very odd. Lovely guys, um, does it? Are you talking about you know that thing of like you know musicians that are kind of local to you and having four a.m. conversations about Colin Blundstone or whatever it might be? Are you having to have those conversations in soft play areas now? <laughs> um, a chance would be a fine thing. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, well, not now, obviously. Yeah, but. No, but this, no, but yeah, I've I've been in, in a, a few soft play areas, and in some ways, I'm I'm always a bit I'm I'm a bit weirded out because if somebody says, "So, what do you do?" Um, I kind of I'm, I'm always like, "Oh, I just I just work from home," because um, it's it's kind of difficult to explain what I do um, in some ways. Are you? Uh, is your wife the breadwinner at the moment? Then, given that you know you're sort of, sort of, you know, not able to tour and so forth. She certainly is. This is yeah. The the it's um, it's 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 interesting how the kind of dynamics shift around um at the moment, and you know we we're, we're as as equal as we possibly can be in all of the things that we try and do. Um, and we, we sort of share our roles, but yeah, she's, she can work from home and I can work from home, but unfortunately I can't actually earn money from home really. (laughs) I guess, uh, I guess now more than ever, it would be a perfect time for one of your songs to make it onto some kind of Netflix kind of. (laughs) Exactly. And yeah, we, we we need to we need to start making some phone calls and and uh, putting the pressure on. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay, well, um, I've been. Uh, I feel very privileged to have had an hour and a quarter of your time, um, given given the sort of restrictions that are put upon you with homeschooling, and obviously, you've got a record ready to come out. Um, it's a fantastic record, and um, I think we're going to hear a lot of it on the radio over the next few months because it's a really catchy record as well. Well, we, we already have done. Of course, you've been A-listed already. For, um, what was it that you've been Yeah, Baby, Baby oh, Sleep was on, on Six Music for a good four or five weeks, which we were very, very happy about. Yeah, and I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, God, what a song that is. It's Thank you. Right up there with, with your very best, I think. Um, so um, I'm going to leave you to i guess what's for tea it's four fifteen as we speak at the moment i'm Friday. about to find yeah. out <laughs> I, I was i went to aldi last night oh, in one of my rare forays into the outside world and um <laughs> that's the last there, line there may be some salmon on the menu i think um, so paul it's been an absolute joy it's been uh, i can't believe it's been what 15 years since we last crossed paths i, I know time been, time flies i know that was the day that you were nominated for the mercury I remember it really well, actually. I know we went went on a train to Brighton. We played, yeah. You played a br- that brilliant gig in Brighton at the is it the Market Hall or something? Or something? Oh yeah, it was yeah some sort of yeah like kind of town hall esque. Yeah. That, oh, my 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 brain doesn't doesn't give me the doesn't give me the name, but I remember the yeah I remember uh, the gig. You know, I'll tell you what, you were also lovely to me, and I felt very flattered that you were so nice to me because I'd only just got that job at the Times, and I felt slightly out of my depth, and I felt like I'd been kind of out of the loop for a long time and I had a lot of catching up to do in a short space of time and I was also at that point in my life where I was now interviewing bands that were quite a bit younger than me so I really felt like (laughs) any kindness extended my way was really gratefully appreciated and uh, you're also lovely to me so uh, I would like to formally thank you for for being so nice oh no that's uh, well you you know you've got to be as I didn't think I'd be caught in the Gallagher Brothers, but you've got to be yourself. You can't be no one else. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, absolutely, our kid. Uh, <laughs> um, um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for very Thanks, much. Thanks, and same to you, Pete. Have a nice night. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. For more excellent music, you can scoot over to the Ace Records website, www.acerecords.co.uk, for all the wonderful music you could possibly need.